0: We
1: observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: The
3: Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals.
1: Dangerous mid-morning debate with the Great Dictator.
3: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attend to when I'm to you! On Talk Radio. this mess
4: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is great to be back in the big chair after a brief sojourn across the pond uh, to jack on our American brothers and sisters. It seems that all hell has broken loose back home in the meantime, though. Tory leadership candidates seem to be in a constant whirlwind of trying to prove they're more interesting than one another. Michael Gove used to snort cocaine, he says. Boris Johnson says he's turned it down at parties. Rory Stewart wants to be the next Forrest Gump of British politics. Esther McVeigh uh, is still fighting a 30-year-old feud, apparently, with Lorraine Kelly. And Sajid claims to be the new kid on the block even though he's been home secretary and he's been in the cabinet for years and years and years I can't actually remember who any of the others are so maybe these five should be the new shortlist after the first round of voting today we will bring you all of that of course as it happens oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand the big story I want to kick off with though uh, is the Joe Brand BBC controversy because the lefty comedian made a joke about throwing battery acid over Nigel Farage haha bloody heart. I don't think it's very funny, do you? Uh, Now she's facing the inevitable calls for retribution, the sack, and all manner of other punishments. I would punish Joe Brand for a lot of things, including her sense of humour, which I don't think is particularly good. However, the real travesty here is about the BBC. First of all, I've got two questions. What is Radio 4 doing producing comedy? It's not their job. They are not a comedy channel, they are a current affairs news channel. Now, if I had told this joke on this very radio station, I would probably be sacked. If I had told any number of jokes about throwing battery acid over any member of the community, whether they be uh, people that were walking, doing their normal duties or whether they were MPs, whether they were running for office, whether they were police officers, whether they were ambulance crew, wouldn't it be funny if I threw battery acid over one of them, eh? hey! Eh? No, it would not be funny. And so the BBC has a duty of care. They recorded this programme called Heresy. They decided not only was it so funny that they should put it out on the radio, but they thought, You know what? We'll keep the battery acid joke in. I think the BBC is a disgrace and we're going to move on from that as to why they should now be really seriously looking at the licence fee in this country. I don't particularly care whether Joe Brown wants to make off-colour jokes about Nigel Farage or anybody else. But I don't wish to pay her to do so. And that money comes from my pocket. 0344 499 one thousand Coming up, we'll keep you updated on what's going on in the Gulf of Oman, where an oil tanker appears to have been hit by a torpedo and is now drifting and on fire in the middle of one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. Also, we'll tell you what the best and worst of English food is. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, predictably, Joe Brand is on the front pages of quite a few of the papers this morning, and Joe Brand has been around for a long time. She is a comedian, or a comedian, I don't know which is more appallingly uh, in, 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 invective and sexist, but she has been, for me, not particularly funny for years and years and years, but she's quite outrageous, and she says things which she knows are quite hard to defend. However, she is a comedian. Let's talk to another comedian, Ben uh, Vanderveld, who's going to tell us what he makes of all of this. Ben, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the show.
5: Good morning, Mike. Nice to chat to you,
4: Yeah, nice to chat to you. Now, listen, I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of whether or not Joe Brand wants to throw acid over Nigel Farage, whether she's going to encourage other people to do so. This is, for me, purely and simply about a matter of taste. If you want to make a joke about something, by all means do so, but then there may be consequences to that.
5: Well, that's the nature of free speech for anyone, whatever their political persuasion. Yeah. Say what you want to say and then deal with the consequences. I think, my friend, the whole fury with this is the idea of, of context. Yes. Um, jo is uh, a comedian, and she's known as quite an acerbic comedian, and you said in your intro that uh, Radio 4 is not a comedy channel, but it's got a legacy of broadcasting comedy shows for 40 years. So, So in that context, we're expecting anything that's said to be intended as a joke. And I think the the exaggeration in the joke is sort of an over-the-top cartoonish Tom and Jerry exaggeration. It's that sort of daft violence. And she even said in it, um, I'm not going to do it, it's purely a fantasy. Um, And the the other thing I would say, with the way um, what she said has been propagated around the internet, very often it's not been the audio clip, it's been the text. And things written down look very different to things when they're said out loud. I've got jokes in my set that... When an audience can see me and look in the whites of my eyes, they know that I'm clearly joking. But written down on paper, they look Yes,
4: no, I couldn't agree with you more. The problem, the reason I say that Radio 4 is not a comedy channel is because it's quite important when it comes to things like compliance, when it comes to things like Ofcom. And because I work in the industry, and so do you, you know that that's quite important. For example, do you remember when Nigel Farage was put on the panel of Question Time just before there was an actual um, uh, election in the European elections. Now, under most rules, you would say, well, how did they manage to do that? While at the same time, uh, they stopped a politician from hosting the uh, Have I Got News For You show, uh, Heidi Allen, I think it was, because they said that they couldn't have a politician hosting a show during an election period. And there seems to be an awful lot of difference paid to, depending on what sort of show you're doing, what sort of station you're doing it on. And that's the reason I say Radio 4 overall is a current affairs radio station.
5: Yeah, I see your point. I think the compliance thing is a really difficult, muddy issue, and I think it is—it's different in the context of politics and current affairs to it is in comedy. I think um, I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty certain that the the show that Joe was on was broadcast at half past six on a weekday, and right. that has been a comedy slot for as long as I've ever listened to the radio. Well, some people uh, would
4: say that today's programme is a pretty good comedy slot at times as well, but, I mean, not uh, always (laughs) unintentionally. But, you know, here's the thing. I just think there's a double standard at the BBC. I mean, a lot of people on Twitter this morning saying to me, how come they sacked Danny Baker so quickly and they haven't really done anything about Joe Brand? And not only have they not done anything, but they decided it was a good joke to broadcast. They were able to think about it. I presume they had a
5: conversation about whether to let it go out, and they did. Hmm, well, I think the Danny Baker thing is twofold. One, I think it's because uh, it it was a joke about the royal family, and so people are quite sensitive about that. And and Danny's even admitted it himself in an interview. He said, do you know what, I didn't intend it to to be racist, but clearly having seen it, it was, and they were right to sack me. And I think that uh, that that was a misjudgment by him, whereas I genuinely think where where Joe came from with with it Comedy comes from exaggeration, doesn't it? You take things up the absurdity curve. Um, the absurdity of throwing a milkshake at someone was it throwing something equally liquid-based that was more violent and corrosive? So the joke is battery acid. And, and genuinely, if she, I think, I think the interesting thing is the broadcast. If she said that in any comedy club in the country, people wouldn't think twice because. People dance along the line of acceptability in comedy Yeah, clubs, but also isn't? most
4: comedy clubs are full of, full of people who have bought a ticket to be in the audience of a comedy mm-hmm. club you know that 's not the same as being listening as being somebody listening to radio four you know there's all kinds of different all, 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 all we, i mean we can argue about this all day Ben, but you'd have to admit that there is a great deal of inconsistency here.
2: I think
5: genuinely. I think the Danny Baker thing and the Joe Brand thing—they're really difficult to compare. I mean, they really are.
4: Well, they can't. They're uh, not that difficult to compare because they both involve the BBC. One <laughs> and one of the one of the reasons that Danny Baker was fired was for something that he didn't even say on the BBC.
5: Yes, I understand that. Um, I, I mean, I like like. I'm not going to get into the Danny Baker thing, to be fair, because it's not. Like what we hear to talk about it. Well, it is actually because it's all the whole
4: point is it's all connected, Ben. You can't just say one thing is not um, sackable and another one is. And I'm not actually going after Joe Brand here. I'm talking about the inconsistencies within the BBC.
5: I think that uh, let's go with Joe Brand's thing. I think that um, if you are going to hire stand-up comedians they are going to take risks. That's where funny often lies. It's in the territory where you take risks. And I th- and to be honest, I think, comedically speaking, I don't think it was that massive a risk. I really don't think it was. I think it was a joke that years ago, in a less febrile atmosphere, people would go, oh, that's a comic exaggeration, brilliant, let's move on. Mm.
6: What would you say
4: if she had made the joke about somebody else, for example? I think the problem here as well, which we are kind of dancing around, is that she's made a joke about Nigel Farage, who is, by all intents and purposes, a hate figure for many people on the left of politics. And so for them, it's fine to make jokes about throwing Aston in his face. If somebody had made a joke about throwing Aston in Theresa May's face, I think it might have been different.
5: Possibly, although, again, context is our friend. Um, I think... I think... Let's look at who is having milkshakes thrown at them. These are not people who are... Um, I'll get right to the point. The people who've had milkshakes thrown at them predominantly, Nigel Farage, Tommy Robinson, Carl Benjamin, these are not members of the right. These are not people who are sit even though they support Brexit. These are members of the far right. They no, they're not. Nigel Farage is them. not
4: a member of the far right. That's your judgment, Ben, right? Now, you are sitting there very cosily, uh, agreeing with Joe Brand, and you're entitled to do that, but you cannot say that Nigel Farage is far right, just because you and your mates think he is. Well, Mike, let me back that up with some firm evidence for you. Uh, well, um, you Mike, no, because your firm evidence is an opinion.
5: Uh, mate, I, I assure you it's absolutely not. So really? let me give you a... T- yeah, really, let me explain it to you. Um, I might be a little bit sensitive to this because my family are Jewish and had to run away from the far right in 1938. Yeah, are you are a Labour so supporter. Mike, um, no, I'm not a Labour supporter. Um, okay. I vote. I voted for uh, both for Lib Dems, Labour, and Green in my time. At the okay. moment, I mostly I mostly vote Green because I think the environment and climate change are quite important. Oh, do you?
4: Okay.
5: Um, do you make jokes about them? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I make make jokes about everything. If the joke joke is funny and rhetorically good enough, you can make jokes about anything. If you came to see my set in any comedy club in the country, as well as jokes about me and my wife and my baby and my football team, I have jokes about Catholic paedophiles. I have jokes about the Holocaust. I have jokes about religion. I have jokes about politics. And because I like the thing... Do you have jokes about... about
4: Muslim paedophiles?
7: Uh, I,
5: I've got jokes about Muslims, but I don't have jokes about Muslim pedophiles because I haven't thought of one yet. Because oh, okay. I've, I've, I've not written one yet. OK. If, all right, if, all right, if I think it's a good one, I'll stick it in there. All right. But, um, so the, where's the, all this evidence it, you're going to give me? Well, let me tell you it. So, first of all, when Nigel Farage uh, campaigned about the country being full, the imagery that he used was imagery that was lifted directly from Nazi propaganda. Nigel Farage has also... Sorry, which Nazi uh, tried- propaganda
4: did he lift it from?
5: Um, so there's a v- pretty famous poster that is easily found by one Google search that the Nazis had saying, essentially, this country is full and using a, pi- a very famous picture of... Uh, Are you
4: sure the Nazis had a poster campaign in the
5: 1930s? Yes, mate, I am. I hate to break it to you, I studied modern history at university, so I do know my stuff on this. OK,
4: so they- so can you show me where they put these posters up? Did they put them up at the railway station or somewhere? Mm-hmm. They did? Yeah,
5: they did. OK. Um, second thing, um, Nigel Farage has consistently tried to make uh, pacts in the European Parliament with people like Viktor Orban, who is leader of Hungary. Who's the who's
4: democratically now, elected leader of Hungary, yes.
5: And also uh, a very, very vocal anti-Semite and far-right figure. And I think, frankly, if you uh, you should judge people by the associations that they make. Yeah, but that doesn't
4: make him far right. Do you see what I'm saying, Ben? You're making an assumption, which you're entitled to make. You're entitled to have a political view on the world, but you're not entitled to put that view out there as if it's a fact, because it isn't.
5: Do you see what I'm, I'm saying? Failed- I mean, basically, we're arguing about how you form opinions on anything here.
6: And, well, know, no, we're I've arguing taken... about
4: facts, Ben, and what you've presented me with are opinions formed around things that you think prove something which other people would not think prove something. So that is not a fact.
5: I mean, we're getting into a really deep, ep- deep epistemological debate here, my friend. But well, I that's think what that the we... show is. You know, yeah, you, don't, is...
4: you don't get to come on here and make a sort of pap statements that may or may not be true and claim them to be facts because they're not. That's as simple as, as, as I can put it.
5: OK, I mean, one other thing that I'd say with Nigel Farage, and this is a beautiful thing about context, as we know, Joe Brown made these comments as comedian on a comedy show at a comedy time slot, and I think even people who were like, oh, that's a little bit on the line, they at least knew that she was ailing for a joke, whereas Farage is on record as saying, if, I don't get, um, if, if Brexit doesn't go through, then I'll be off to pick up a rifle, as people should do. That's and not what I, he said, actually. It's it's, just, it's just
4: You're so paraphrasing weird. what he said to make it sound worse. That's OK. You're allowed to do that. But once again, I have to pull you up on it as we're talking I'm about not, facts.
5: So I'm not, I'm not paraphrasing it to make it sound worse, but he did, uh, because genuinely, I can't quite remember the quote. No, of but course you did, can't. He did uh, reference uh, picking up a rifle and inciting violence. No,
4: he didn't, actually. He, inc- <laughs> he, he talked about people becoming so angry that they might go to the front line, OK? Now, clearly, that was in context, as you like to put it, in the context of nothing to do with asking people to pick up a rifle and go and shoot somebody. That's the point. Your context is my context, is everybody else's context, and sometimes it can be different. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? You like to, because it's a human nature to want to make a context more preferable to the way that you see the world. And I don't mind you doing that, Ben, but don't pretend that you're the only one that's got it right.
5: No, I don't. I, uh, going back to what I was saying, I, I think with, um, with the people being milkshake, I very much believe uh, there's, a, there's a quite a famous philosopher uh, called Karl Popper who basically says we should be tolerant of everything apart from intolerance. And when you look at the likes of Carl Benjamin and Tommy Robinson, and I am going to keep, keep banging on about Farage. I well, you genuinely can mention think... Carl
4: Benjamin yeah. and Tommy Robinson in the same sentence, but I would urge you not to put Nigel Farage in there at the same time because he was I... elected and they weren't. And there's a reason for that. Uh, he is not far right. He might be populist. He might be somebody that you don't like. He might be somebody that says things that you don't agree with. That does not entitle you or anybody else to throw anything on him. We should not be doing that in this day and age.
5: So I'd say there is a definite difference between Robinson, Carl Benjamin and Nigel Farage and that those two are, I mean, they're convicted, at least one of them, no, Tommy Robinson's a convicted criminal and uh, Carl Benjamin has incited violence. So is Jeffrey Geoffrey I mean, Archer, he sits in the House of Lords. Yeah, um, well, I mean, we should close that down. <laughs> that's an argument for another yeah, day. Yeah, that
4: is an argument for another day. Listen, we have to run. But listen, I've enjoyed talking to you, Ben, but don't make the mistake that just because somebody on the left makes a joke about somebody on the right that that's OK... But it doesn't work the other way, because it has to. That is the point. 0344 499 is the number. Talk to me. This is Talk Radio.
3: More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think
5: capital punishment isn't going nearly far <laughs> enough.
1: <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
7: On Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome
4: back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I've missed being here, you know. I have to say, it's very nice to be back from America. A guy tweeted me this morning and says, it's going to get a pound for every time you mention you've been in America. Well, no, you can't. Uh, but I'm going to mention it probably from time to time. So try not to get too worked up about it. Also, here's one thing I want to mention to you. What is it about picking up bags at airports, right? I was standing, waiting to get my bag off the carousel, right? Now, Heathrow, where I came back into, Terminal 5, there's quite a lot of room. I was standing, say, a metre back from... The, uh, the actual carousel and the bags were coming at quite a slow rate but somebody came and stood right in front of me and I'm thinking to myself do you know, I'm standing here for a reason I'm waiting for my bag you could stand to the right of me or the left of me, not in front of me so I moved to the right another guy came, stood in front of me I mean, this it could go on all day what's wrong with people? sorry, just a bit of a rant let's talk to Carl who's in London hello Carl oh hello, good morning good morning to you sir, what would you like to say?
6: But well, basically, in the United Kingdom, there have been in recent months uh, acid attacks. Right. Uh, also, uh, there's uh, plenty of examples of political violence and harassment, mm-hmm. and uh, this is going on. Yes. Uh, and, this, and this kind see, of
4: thing. And this kind of thing doesn't help, really, does it?
6: But well, basically, it simply gives an excuse to somebody right. to retaliate. Yes. Because so, basically. If we want people to respect other people, if we want people to respect other people, regardless of, of their opinions yes. or views, we have to stop this. We cannot talk about throwing acid on people's faces in the present political environment or in any political environment.
4: And this is where I think the BBC has a role because that was a pre-recorded programme. They should have known better than to allow her to, to say that and then broadcast it.
6: Well, i give you another point. In 2016, uh, Amber Rudd, who was then Home Secretary, yeah. she banned National Action, uh, not because of uh, things they did, but because of what they were saying that what they were going to do. Yes, Jack Rainshaw uh, uh, was given a very long sentence for talking about uh, attacking an MP.
1: Right,
6: and this lady goes to the BBC and jokes about throwing acid on people's faces. And the BBC justifies it. Yes. I'm I think pres- this is extremely worrying. Yeah. I have written to Crescida Dick, okay. to the Metropolitan Police, because I said, well, this is not on. This is not right. The BBC has a charter. And nowhere in the BBC charter it says that people can promote violence or suggest acts of violence using the BBC, a public broadcaster. Yes,
4: and I'm personally not going to go and throw acid in anybody's face because somebody makes a joke about doing it. However, the problem with the left versus the right in this country now is that the left thinks it's quite fine and dandy to throw milkshakes over people, and they think it's a great laugh, and it's not.
6: It it gets even worse. A few days ago, uh, there was a demonstration in Westminster, and a black man... And I will point out this. A black man was called Nazi, fascist, racist, all kinds of things.
4: Because he was supporting Donald Trump. Exactly. Yes. And, and well, the also, man, there was an incident where an, old, was holding, where an old... There was also another incident where uh, that w- ghastly woman who worked for the NHS threw a milkshake or, or helped somebody throw a milkshake over the other Trump supporter.
6: And if that milkshake had been acid...
4: Yeah. Well, exactly. Listen, Carl, you make a very good point. I appreciate your call. Thank you very much indeed. Daniel uh, is in Epsom. Hi, Daniel.
7: Mike, I appreciate that you got to see your family and stuff, but what about the listeners, mate? We miss you.
4: <laughs> what about your phone? It sounds as if you're talking to me down a tunnel. Does it? Yeah, there you go. That's
7: better. Oh, sorry, Mike. Yeah, I was just... I wanted to talk about Brexit, because I think it's just got more fascinating, right? because there's, there's certain MPs, that have, <clears throat> like Dominic Grieve, and they've almost got like a mental illness, and they uh, they will not accept Brexit. So... Even with the vote last night, so they can't take over Parliament and stop Brexit, they're now saying you're now saying he might vote to bring down his own government, Yeah, which will lead with a marxist in number two. I 10. mean, why
4: doesn't the guy just walk across the aisle and join the Lib Dems? Because that's where he should be.
7: Yeah, I mean, but there, there are, there's about ten of them that are the same, and I, I look at them and think, why are you even in the Conservative Party? Yeah. You know, I mean, not only did you vote sort of here to be the results, you so, also voted to trigger Article 50. Mm. Yeah, you've also had your your real vote to be on the 23rd of, of July to take over Parliament. you had that rejected. It's, it's quite clear the the motion of which the country is moving to now. It's, it's quite clear that we might have uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who will have to take us out. Yeah. Why can't Why can't they understand if they don't? take us out of the European Union, there
4: will be no Conservative Party. I know. All I can say, Dan, is I'm going to stop you there just because your line is really bad. But listen, I'm glad you called in and do call again this week because I know tomorrow's the only, uh, the last day to do it because it's Friday. But, uh, by the way, I've only got one day uh, to make a few mistakes and get into the Perry Awards. I don't think I've made any yet. Uh, so that's one hour down. And obviously, um, oh, he's shaking his head behind the glass. No, I'm afraid he's already found a few. Never mind that. Oh uh, three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. The point is, right, um, that why these MPs think that they can uh, continue to sort of filibuster and block Brexit is because it's worked so well already, so far, for three years. We've got nowhere. In fact, next hour, I'm going to ask for the countdown clock to be uh, brushed down, brought out of the uh, cupboard and played to see if we're any closer to not leaving the European Union. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic
6: of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
4: Now, when you see on the front page of the Daily Mail, Boris blasts off. So how did his young girlfriend have tamed him in time for the big launch? Well, there's lots of ways of answering that question. Not quite sure it needs to be asked. Johnson won't rule out suspending Parliament, is what it says on the front page of the Times. But perhaps more interestingly, uh, a, a story sort of at the bottom of the page. So, Mark Sedwill, who is thought to be the sort of kingmaker inside of Downing Street, the cabinet secretary, the top civil servant in the land, Sir Humphrey uh, sort of personified. has basically only held talks with Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt. So let's find out from John Craig at Sky, what is going on? John, a very good morning to you.
3: Good morning. They're voting as we speak. Right. Uh, they started voting at 10. This is the first round. They vote till, uh, I think, 1 o'clock. And uh, we get the result of the first round uh, uh, after that. I agree with you. I think there'll probably be quite a few dropouts um, uh, 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 this afternoon. I right. mean, there are 10 candidates, as you know. Um, the last few minutes... Um, Andrea Leadsom, Rory Stewart and Esther McVeigh have uh, voted, turned up for a selfie. Well, I think those three are pretty vulnerable, actually. Yes. Uh, Michael Goves just voted. He said, somebody said, who are you voting for? He said, the best candidate. And how about Theresa May, (laughs) just before 11 (laughs) o'clock, voted. Uh, She, um, when she was asked uh, how she'd voted, she said, none of your business. Mm. Can I give you the the sky um, uh, projection? of all they are, really? Please do, yes. Um, Sky's final public tally with 236 of uh, 313 MPs declaring. It's Johnson Warehouse in front on 83 Gove 32 Hunt 35 just ahead of Gove Sajid Javid 19 and then Dominic Raab 24 ahead of Sajid Javid Matt Hancock 16 and then you've got Esther McVeigh 6, Rory Stewart 8 Mark Harper 8 Andrea Ledson five. So it looks very much as though McVeigh, Stuart, Harper and uh, Ledson will be the ones dropping out, so we're mm. down to six.
4: OK, and what is it about Boris Johnson that has kind of brought him back to the fore? Because I remember talking to various people, either MPs and or pundits over the course of the last year, who always said that the problem for Boris Johnson is getting on the ballot because his difficulty yes. is inside the parliamentary party. There's obviously some change to that now.
3: That's all changed, hasn't it? It, I think the one word is panic. Yes. Tories are panicking about uh, Brexit, the Brexit party and Nigel Farage, uh, because Nigel Farage uh, made a lot of noise at the time of the European elections uh, late last month um, about the delay in leaving the EU. And so Tories have panicked and thought, oh, my goodness, we need to leave. Otherwise, we're going to get absolutely spanked if there's a general election we're going to lose seats, uh, we're going to lose votes to the Brexit party, split the right-wing vote, that's going to let Corbyn in. So it's panic, really. They've gone for Johnson. Uh, and he has picked up some unlikely supporters, really, some pro-Remain Tory MPs who believe he's a winner. Um, what, has, what struck me yesterday about his launch was that he dwelt almost exclusively on his record as London Mayor And his claim is that because he won the election, he beat Ken Livingstone in London, uh, he can beat another lefty, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. He barely mentioned his time at the Foreign Office. He talked briefly about how he'd been a salesman for the UK abroad. But he's basing... and I've just been looking at another... Johnson uh, video, actually, he's basing it all on his record as London Mayor.
4: Right. Maybe that's deliberate, though, because there are those who, yeah, do, yeah. who do criticise it. Well, obviously, it is deliberate. I, I'll take that back as a kind of idiotic <laughs> thing to say, sorry. But I mean, in the sense that um, the criticism of Boris Johnson seems to be... I mean, all I can say about him when he was Mayor was he was a bit self-absorbed. That's fair enough. But people say uh, he was the worst Foreign Secretary of all time. He was not a details man. He ended up getting that woman in Iran imprisoned for longer... You know, the criticisms of him as Foreign Secretary, I suggest, would be too much for him to fight off, if you like.
3: Yes. I mean, those who um, criticise His supporters always say, oh, they're jealous of his uh, popularity. Um, are those Tory MPs who criticise him. But he does have some pretty vocal critics on the Tory backbenches. For example, Tom Tugendhat, who chairs the Foreign Affairs yes. Committee, uh, is a Gove man... Um, incidentally, I, 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 I can't see Gove making the final two after the drugs, uh, revelations. I think the final two will be Johnson, either Hunt or Javid. Mm. A lot depends on where, when the more candidates drop out. Of course, it depends where, for example, the Hancock votes go. Uh, the Raab votes, one would assume, would go straight to Johnson because right. he's a hardline Brexiteer. Um, But Boris Johnson has his uh, fanatical supporters. He has those who grudgingly support him because they think he's a winner, uh, and the Tories best hope. But, of course, he has his fierce critics as well, people like Steve Norris, who uh, was Tory candidate for mayor um, uh, before uh, before Boris Johnson, worked with him at Transport for London. Um, and, uh, And also... Foreign office ministers who worked with him, like um, uh, Alistair Burt and mm. Sir Alan Duncan, they're scathing in their criticism of him. Right. Um, I mean, that was put to him by Sky's Beth Rigby yesterday, that those who'd worked with him were not supporting him. Well, he, he said, well, that's wrong because he's got people like James Cleverly and Kit Malthouse there at his launch. They worked with him in London.
4: And what about the uh, booing at that press conference? Because a lot of people have picked up on that. That, you know, what I hate to see, and as I used to, we used to see in America with Donald Trump uh, and at some of his rallies, where because you've got a load of people in there who are not actual journalists, they're actual supporters of the candidate, if you like, you know, it creates a very difficult atmosphere, doesn't it?
3: Well, it was my colleague, Beth Rigby, who asked a question, putting to Boris Johnson some of the things he'd said, particularly that. Uh, uh, those remarks about women in burqas, what was it, burglars and uh, letterboxes yes. or something like that, right. and they started to boo. Um, we have seen that. I mean, I, I remember there was an occasion, I think it was a Jeremy Corbyn news conference, when um, Laura Koonsberg of the BBC got booed. Yeah. Um, I, 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 the journalists, we're all very cross, because he only took six questions right. yesterday. There's clearly uh, not a good atmosphere between journalists and the Johnson camp. Now, there's talk of a, a TV debate. I think it's on Channel 4 at the weekend. And yeah. Channel 4 are threatening to empty chair Mr Johnson if he doesn't turn up. I um, mean, cl- the strategy clearly is to uh, uh, keep his media appearances to, to a minimum. Right. Um, and it was interesting yesterday. He was very controlled as, and very measured um, uh, during his speech. But, of course, when it came to answering questions... I mean, he sort of was talking about a minestrone of comments from Laura Koonsberg. Um, And, uh, and of course, he got asked by George Parker from the Financial Times about the uh, infamous F business uh, uh, quote attributed to him. The questions were pretty hostile yesterday, and he's probably thinking to himself, my goodness, I'm glad I only took six.
4: Well, that's the problem with having a strategy in which you don't really go uh, all out and be open with the press. You do not He hasn't did, done any big set-piece interviews yet, really,
3: which he'll eventually he, he have. Did want, he did the Sunday Times at the weekend. No, but
4: I'm talking about on TV, because he, he, no. it has to be on TV. I mean, as much as it's very good to be in the Sunday Times, and the Sunday Times is an incredibly estimable newspaper, of course. However, I to work for it. Of course you did. <laughs> of course you did, John. As I did. long time ago. But Andrew a... Neil
3: was the editor there. He's a good interviewer.
4: Well, he's a very good interviewer. But, I mean, you know, I've been Love to watch an interview between Andrew Neil and Boris Johnson, but the thing is, what was been the point that's been made over the weekend and, and recently as well is that this is not about Boris Johnson appealing to the public, is it? This is about him, first of all, in the first instance, At this appealing, stage, no, it's MPs. Appe- yeah, it's MPs, but it will also then only be members of the Conservative Party, so he won't be necessarily having to sort of be all things to all men, as it were.
3: Well, yes, it, you're right to point out there are various stages of this contest, yeah, and um. The first one is getting the support of MPs. And as you rightly say, uh, a few months ago, we might have all said, oh, he'll struggle amongst the MPs, but he's clearly not. He's clearly doing very well among the MPs. There have been a number of behind-closed-doors hustings, and you mentioned the Times story uh, this morning where it says Johnson won't rule out suspending Parliament. That was actually at a meeting he had with the um, a Eurosceptic group known as the European Research Group, Mm. which is led by Jacob Rees-Mogg, who, of course, is a big Boris Johnson supporter. Yes. Uh, There is a claim that he's been saying one thing to one group of MPs. Uh, He's been trying to uh, convince the more moderate Tories that he calls himself a one-nation Tory, and yet he's uh, trying to convince the uh, hardline Brexiteers that he's one of them. Of course, he wouldn't be the first candidate to do that. I remember Tony Blair, when he was standing for election, saying one thing to one group of people and another thing to another group of people. So uh, that's what politicians do in the hope of getting elected. Quite.
4: And what about the uh, sort of job offer scenario? Because an awful lot of uh, people have been saying things like I would not work with Boris Johnson. Uh, Other people have said that they would work with any one of the candidates, whichever one of them won. Do you know whether Boris has... Kind of, he talked. He's talked about having a, a cabinet of stars around him. You know, does anybody know who he's referring to?
3: Well, he's going to reward obviously those uh, close members of his campaign and also those senior backers. Mm. Now, who's he going to make Chancellor of the Exchequer? Uh, it looks as though we could be heading for our first female Chancellor in Liz Truss okay. because she's currently number two at the Treasury. And, of course, she's been a very enthusiastic supporter. I think we might see, we'll might we see comebacks for the likes of Gavin Williamson. Right. My tip is that he will go to Northern Ireland um, because he has a good relationship with the Democratic Unionists and it needs someone in there to sort that out. Right. Of course, the executive and the, and the Stormont hasn't sat for absolutely ages. It's about a year and a half now. Um, um, other, other comebacks... Well, I mean, John Whittingdale, who was the Culture Secretary, he's a, uh, he, he's a Boris backer. He might come back into the Cabinet. Ian Duncan Smith might mm. come back in. Michael Fallon might come back in. Well, these are all people who've been enthusiastic Boris backers. And then, of course, his lieutenants that he mentioned yesterday, Kit Malthouse and James Cleverly, they're bound to get jobs. And I guess he, the question, of course, is what does he do with his, re, his leadership rivals? What does he do with Jeremy Hunt, Michael Gove and Sajid Javid? Well... I don't get I'm the sure sense both... that I don't get the
4: sense that Boris is a sort of a team player, uh, and I don't imagine that he feels the need to sort of unite the Tory party, even though that's maybe what is required.
3: Well, he claims he he's the person who huh. can unite the party, well. but I, I think you're probably right. Um, he may uh, he's quite likely to punish those who have, uh, have been his strongest critics. Yeah. I mean, Rory Stewart. Uh, who, who's had perhaps the most theatrical, some would say eccentric campaign yes. so far. <laughs> Very entertaining, in actually. a tent the other day. Yeah. He said he wouldn't serve under Boris Johnson. Right. Uh, now, I think if he's not in the Cabinet, he'd be trouble on the back benches because he's a pro-European. And he did hint uh, at his launch on, what was it, Monday or Tuesday, uh, that he might support that move yesterday by Labour to try and ambush uh, a no-deal Brexiteer becoming... Uh, um, becoming Prime Minister. Um, What does he do with Mr Hunt? I'm sure that both um, Michael Gove and Sajid Javid would like to be Chancellor of the Exchequer, but I think, as I said before, I think my money's on uh, Liz Truss for that. Never been a woman Chancellor yet. Um, But he'll have to give fairly senior jobs to Sajid Javid and, and, and Jeremy Hunt, one would imagine, unless they say... Uh, they don't. Um, they don't yes. want to serve under him, which is possible, of course.
4: Although Sajid Javid yesterday did refer to Boris Johnson as yesterday's news, hardly the way yes, to did. get into yes, his was, inner circle. Uh,
3: yes, that was uh, quite a put down, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. Um, I think uh, Sajid Javid uh, got off to a very slow start in this campaign. Um, But he has been impressing some MPs with his performances this week. He had a good video, good launch yesterday, although timing was completely mucked up by what was going on in Parliament. Um, I would have thought, (coughs) excuse me, I would have thought he will stay in the Cabinet and get a fairly top job. I tell you what, I had a thought this morning about this race. Mm. (coughs) Excuse me, if Boris Johnson mucks up and doesn't last very long... There are a few candidates in this race who've done themselves no harm for next time, and I'm thinking of uh, Sajid Javid and, um, and uh, Matt Hancock particularly, right. um, some of the younger, less well-known. Well, you mentioned Matt Hancock not being that well-known. He's fairly new to the Cabinet. He's done culture, media and sport and health, which, of course, is exactly what uh, Jeremy Hunt, the jobs Jeremy Hunt did before he became Foreign Secretary. Um, Will Boris Johnson... How will Boris Johnson do as Prime Minister? Well, I think he's got a real battle in Parliament. As uh, as Jeremy Corbyn uh, muttered yesterday when the vote was being announced, the government won, but Mr Corbyn said, you won't be laughing in September. And I think there'll be more attempts by opponents of No Deal to try and tie the new Prime Minister's hands. And I think Boris Johnson will have some fierce battles in Parliament. (laughs) Uh, when he becomes prime minister, because there is not a majority uh, for no deal. Of course, the way out of it, of course, would be to hold a general election. Um, So uh, if Boris uh, Boris is confident, uh, he may well go to the country and hold a general election in October or November. Um, and that uh, would be exciting, to say the least.
4: It certainly would. Well, we've got to keep on our toes, John, you know what I mean? We've seen this (laughs) stuff before, we've seen it come, we've seen it go. John Craig, thank you very much indeed, Chief Political Correspondent for Sky News, setting out uh, what he believes will be the end of the day's results, which are uh, that Boris Johnson should be quite well ahead, according to the Sky poll. That would be no surprise to anyone, and what everyone says is that if Boris Johnson is in fact one of the two names on the final ballot, he will win, hands down. And I personally would welcome Boris Johnson as the next prime minister. I don't know about you.
8: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify.
7: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ
1: dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator
3: the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio
4: just to set the record straight, of course, because Jim DeBrogatis was on. He's written a book about R. Kelly, and he sort of made a swipe at Bono, which is a bit of an unnecessary thing to do in this day and age, isn't it? I mean, everybody gets a swipe at Bono. Come up with something better. 0344 Let's talk to Giles Corrin, a man who quite frequently makes swipes at people he shouldn't. Uh, but he's very welcome to, hear, uh, to come on here and talk about the best and worst of British food. Mr. Corrin, a very good afternoon to you. Hello, I, I never make swipes at anybody who doesn't
2: totally deserve
4: it. Of course you don't, um, but that's the world in which we now live. You know, depending on what you think and,
2: and your opinion, you can swipe at anyone and justify it, of course. I suppose you can. I thought it's my sister who's in big trouble at the moment. Oh, what's Joe she doing? Well, she's not really, but the whole Joe brand, I should have used battery acid instead yes. of uh, milkshake thing, that was on my sister's radio show. Uh, and, and uh, so I was talking to her this morning and normally I'm the one in massive trouble because yeah. I've said something wrong on Twitter right. or in the Times or on the radio and, for, and my sister, Queen of the Snowflakes never puts a foot wrong she's suddenly in massive trouble uh, for her radio show yes. saying this terrible thing well there is some uh, talk
4: of uh, I mean we've done lots of calls on it this morning and people are saying well why, why would the BBC pre-record that and then not think about maybe editing that out but I guess you know we can't talk about that because we don't know well, what, what the editing process is
2: well, I do. That's the interesting thing, because the thing that my sister's a bit in battle about, she's also the producer, so it is, so she's sort of making the call, and, and that's the point of heresy. I know you haven't got me on to talk about that, but the point with heresy is that you're meant to make jokes which are beyond the pale yeah. and then see if it's okay. Right. And my sister's main point, she's been... Aaron Banks has been there to be the banker who founded uh, Farage. Yeah. You on directly to her, you would never let someone say this about for example, Boris Johnson and the women in Burkhaz look like post boxes. Um, and my sister goes, no, we absolutely would. And just because she's a lefty snowflake, they're assuming that she would only allow this terrible thing to be said about right wingers. But in fact, they do, they have it on both sides and they, they just fling this terrible yeah. mud around. I, of course, am much too grown up and responsible ever to do stuff like that. Of course, so.
4: aren't we all? And uh, we, we should move swiftly on now before yes. we start recounting things that we maybe shouldn't have done. Uh, but let's talk about her kippers and let's talk about jelly deals because I was very surprised to see that kippers are not considered to be the best of, of British food.
2: Will you say that, they're not considered by YouGov, remember, who got Brexit wrong, Corbyn <laughs> wrong, the Theresa May. I since your uh, researcher phoned me up and said, would I come and talk about this? I thought, I hadn't even seen the story. Right, this is my column. I must write. This is the most interesting thing I've ever seen. Because YouGov, and it's not just them, other political pollsters, having basically got politics completely wrong for the last three years, right. wrong about Trump, wrong about they turned their mind to food. And they've got that wrong as well. Um, <laughs> well, I suppose uh, there's a
4: certain kind of uh, consistency there, which
2: we don't have in politics these days. Yes, it's, no, it's find out what the YouGov survey says in order to discover what is not the case. So they've got, the, 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 they've said, that they've broken it down as god tier, top tier, I, mean, I don't know what that really means, but yes, I, the only interesting food is the stuff right at the bottom. Yeah. So at the, so the top, they've got Yorkshire pudding. I mean, it's it's not anything. It's just flour and water. Yeah, uh, actually, you know. And, and the only the, thing uh, really
4: uh, famous about Yorkshire pudding is that nobody can make it.
2: Yes, it's quite difficult to make, and if you do, it's not very nice. And you, you have you put some gravy. But I mean, a Sunday roast. What, these are all. Sunday fish and chips, a once great dish. When was the last time that it, so you went into a fish and chip shop and had a sort of fresh piece of? whiting or hake. Yes. Battered on the spot and you? Never. You go into a kebab shop and they offer you pre-battered frozen cod. It's not a British dish. Nobody really eats it. But, and, 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 and things like cottage pie, bangers and mash shepherds. pie. This is children's food. This is jelly and ice cream. Stuff. Yeah. Down at the bottom, liked by fewer than 50%, uh, claim you go. Are the kippers which are delicious and healthy and, and you don't really want to cook them at home because the house smells no, In fact, I'm not allowed
4: to cook them at home, to be honest, so I have them out but,
2: OK, so what my dad uh, used to do, and this way, so because my mum wouldn't allow the cooking of kippers in. My dad would, and it's genius, really, he couldn't cook anything else. But uh, he would um, open the back door, which went off the kitchen. Then you heat the pan to, to you know, as hot as it would get. Yeah. Put the kippers in, then run out the back. <laughs> uh, and and, by the, and you leave it for a couple of minutes while the pan, flip it over, and, the, and your kippers done. And all the smell that's gone outside for the neighbours. Yeah. And then, you, and then you can bring it back in and eat it, and none of the smell goes into the house. So, now, that is a very um, good
4: idea. I like the sound of that. that. You can also you can is, also wrap it in foil and do it on the barbecue if you're really, really, really desperate for kippers.
2: Yes, that's also... But, I mean, kippers are a breakfast thing, and you're about to go to work. You can't really go out and start lighting the coals. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it seems quite a palaver for breakfast. But, look, all the other things down there are... A tiny bit edgy, but much more delicious. That's well, good. haggis,
4: for example, I love. I yeah. mean, partly due to my Scottish heritage, I love haggis in all its forms.
2: Yes, no, haggis is haggis is great. I'm not at all Scottish, and I love haggis. It's the one dish that literally, truly, is good with whiskey. I mean, it's not just a Burns Night novelty. Yeah. Because it's so sort of spicy mm. and a little bit, it goes really, really well with whiskey. Then the nicer the whiskey, the better it goes. When whiskey doesn't really go with anything else. Um, and, and a haggis is delicious, as is black pudding, um, where people go, oh, yuck, pig's blood and, and whatever. But but, but it's a, if you don't know what's in it, my six-year-old son, his favourite, he loves black pudding. He loves it, doesn't really know what it is. Right. And they'll, he'll come a point when he discovers that it's pig's blood and sawdust. Well, also, you
4: know, but pig's blood and sawdust is probably better for you than the stuff that you get in regular sausages, which is parts of the pig that you probably wouldn't want to grind up if you really knew what they were going to end up as.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, but, and, and always sort of gristle and toenail and yeah. and stuff. Oh. You the bits you don't want to know. Whereas the black no, it's black pudding, it's, it's delicious and interesting and kind of. I mean, it's not uniquely British. There is Boudin Noir in France. There's Morcillo in Spain. They have, yeah. but it's just. Good. A steak and kidney pudding they've got down as disgusting. If it's done properly, you make that. a suet crust with yeah. proper steak and kidney. It's it's, it's delicious. All, all those things down there, faggots soup, uh, delicious. I mean, it's, it's the lungs and lights. It's not that great, and they have a faintly problematic name. Um, that is a bit difficult. Yeah. Let me give you just
4: before uh, we move on to anything else. There's a I once found and I only found this by accident. I went to there was a pub in Kent somewhere down near Sandwich, and they were serving for lunch uh, brown bread sandwiches with black pudding and mango chutney. It's one of the greatest things I've ever eaten. That
2: sounds very good because because um, often often black puddings are quite peppery, quite spicy, yeah. and then it's really nice to have with the mango chutney. Mm. Um, yeah, and what no, about no, this thing good. about
4: cauliflower cheese, where apparently women prefer it more than men?
2: yeah i mean um that's a bit that's a bit weird i mean cauliflower sort of fallen out of fashion it had a crisis a, 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 a little bit better recently but basically because it's always based on the fact that english, we're stupid and english people really know nothing about food everyone started to eat vegetables just to be healthy you need a bit of green yeah but because cauliflowers are not green people thought they weren't all that healthy that they were a bit like potatoes yes so people stopped eating them and eating broccoli instead. And I think broccoli is a bit disgusting. So cauliflower cheese, it's weird. Yes, women are slightly more meat dodgers than men. They are in, in our household. My wife will quite often, I'll, I'll be, we'll, she'll make dinner. On a, mm. I mean, it's not, I, I sometimes cook too. But when when she goes there, I'll sit down to, and there'll be all, cauliflower cheese and some carrots. And this is the, And I'm sitting there. With my holding my knife and fork, waiting for the meat to arrive, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't, because tonight we're going vegetarian, and I really and I will eat it, but that's always going to be the woman's choice. Never yeah, the, the yeah, man. I think but,
4: you're right. I mean, I'm in the same boat occasionally, and it's basically all about, um, you know, a part as you're a part time vegetarian, that's fine, but let's not make it more than one day at a time.
2: A flexitarian, yes, to now. Uh, yes, I think it's probably okay. I mean, I understand some of this notion that good animal farming is, is bad. For, bad for the, whatever, the fucking ozone layer or whatever it is. I don't know what it's called. And if these are all sort of... But you can't do it all the time. You can only do it uh, occasionally. And if, if women want to make cauliflower our cheese occasionally and we eat it, and then the next day we can go back to our steak and kidney pudding and then we're fine. Yeah, I think you're absolutely
4: right. I'm off to Borough Market after this to go and have something meaty, I think. Thank you very much indeed. Charles uh, Corrin there uh, telling us all about why uh, YouGov are no good at doing surveys about food either. Uh, they messed up all the politics. They've moved on to another subject. And apparently, they're not getting that right either. Coming up, though, uh, we will be finding out precisely what's going on at Tory Party HQ because we're expecting to hear exactly which candidates are likely to go forward to the second ballot and see who is closest to becoming Prime Minister. Ross Kempson will join us. This is Talk
7: Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. We are Talk Radio.
0: Can I get an core? Do you want more? Cookin' raw with the Brooklyn boys So for one last time I need y'all to Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Now what, what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more So for one last time, make some noise
4: Now normally at this time of the day I would be preparing uh, to leave the studio But lucky old you, uh, thanks to the Tory party I've been remaining uh, here, I'm not leaving Uh, much as Theresa May have remained in Downing Street, even though there was a new leader supposedly being voted on. Ross is here with me because he's a political editor of Talk Radio and we are expecting within moments, minutes possibly, uh, the uh, result of the first ballot in the Tory leadership contest. Ross, welcome back to the show. Um, first ballot results live. We'll be hearing somebody who's going to read the, out the result. First they're going to be
8: they're going to be read by Cheryl Gillan, who is a senior mm. Tory MP. She is the joint executive secretary of the 1922 committee, and she's running the leadership election jointly with Charles Walker, another official on the 1922 committee. So it'll either be Dame Cheryl Gillan or Charles Walker MP who are going to read out the results. They're the returning officers for right. the election. The uh, voting has been underway from 10 a.m. Uh, until till 12pm so it shut 57 minutes ago so those votes were then taken from the voting room committee room 14 to another room. so that's room.
4: normally the, 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 the 1922 committee room isn't that's it? right that's yeah.
8: right it's a big room uh, on a corridor that runs parallel to the river thames uh, on the side of the palace of westminster big views outside of, yeah. of london and also big paintings on the wall it's a very historic room in the house of commons those ballot boxes Uh, well James Cheryl Gillan, I should tell you has has experience as an election observer in Bosnia and Herzegovina and other Mm. places and she's using her experience so there have been a series of new measures brought in. Tory MPs weren't allowed to have their mobile phones on them this morning when they voted. Uh, They've been using different colour ballot papers to uh, have a security measure they're not allowed to tweet or photograph anything to do with the election uh, or the ballot paper. Obviously they've been saying who they're supporting but nothing to do with the procedure. They've got a special stamp on them, I'm told, uh, from the 1922 committee. So it's been taken committee. very, very seriously. It's been though. taken very, very seriously. And mm. even more seriously of all, uh, these two officials in the 1922 committee know all of the MPs, uh, but they've checked their parliamentary passes just to make sure they're not somebody else posing as a right. Tory MP, even okay. though, even though they know them as their mm. kind of friends and colleagues. We can see on the monitors uh, inside Committee Room 14 at the moment, uh, The uh, there is a row of uh, desks. These are, uh, actually have inkwells on them, these desks. They're so old. They've right. been there since the 19th century. Wow. Uh, uh, and we're waiting for the officials of the 1922 Committee to file in. Now, there are 313 Conservative MPs in total. All of them are allowed one vote. Uh, including the Prime Minister, including the candidates.
4: And I asked you that question earlier, who's she voting for? She wouldn't
8: reveal, would she, when uh, she was asked today? She wouldn't reveal it. She said uh, that it's not for you to know mm. when she left the voting room, so nobody knows who Theresa May has voted for. We know who uh, 238 Tory MPs have publicly said that they're going to vote for, so 238 are declared. That means 75 Tory MPs are undeclared, so we don't know which way those votes are mm. going to go. On the projection of the declared votes, we would see Boris Johnson taking the top of the first ballot with 84 Jeremy Hunt, his nearest rival on 37, so more than halfway behind Mm. him. Whether that gap closes is a key question in the first ballot, the gap between Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson. We then have Michael Gove, he's projected on 34 declarations. If he scores fewer than that, that's a sign that the campaign which has been all over the place really Mm. for Michael Gove according to many uh, critics uh, all of the stories about cocaine and drug use, kind of horrendous series of, of media stories for Michael Gove whether that has had an effect on him. Uh, Dominic Raab, the same, languishing behind on 23 in terms of public declarations. If he doesn't meet those numbers, there'll be huge pressure on him to pull out and to back either Boris Johnson or Michael Gove, I would have thought, going forward. Then we have the kind of lower-ranked candidates... We have Andrea Leadsom at the bottom on four. You would expect her to get knocked out. Mm. There were some rumours this morning that she would pull out before this vote to avoid losing. Her team have insisted to me in the past 50 minutes that they do have the necessary 17 uh, to remain in the competition. And for
4: someone like her, I suppose, to get to the magic number uh, is actually an endorsement more than it is a failure. Because even though she may be well behind the front of Boris Johnson, you know, being told that you're probably going to have to drop out and then getting the right number is quite a boost, really, isn't it? Um,
8: yes, I think it is. And uh, partially that is because some MPs borrow or lend their votes to lower-rank candidates. So if you were, for example, going to back Boris Johnson, but you know that Boris Johnson's on 84 in the first round, plus whatever undeclared votes he gets, then you know that he's safe. Mm. You don't need to vote for him at this stage because it's not crucial. So you might, if you are so inclined, lend your vote to one of the other candidates. And that would be with the purpose of keeping them in for the second ballot. But because between now and the second ballot, there's another weekend of debate in the newspapers, on TV. There's a proposed television debate on Channel 4 on Sunday evening. So that's a key threshold for many of the lower ranked candidates. People like Rory Stewart, he insists he has the necessary 17 to get through, but only just. Mm. He would want to get through so that he can get on TV, for example, and do that TV debate. And
4: will this kind of, Uh, let's all be nice to one another, which is largely held. I suppose you would say. It hasn't been too vitriolic between each of them. Is that likely to remain the case after today? Because it might well be that some candidates who don't make it uh, wish to more now tell the truth if, yeah, if you like. Yeah,
8: I'm not, I'm not sure it's held under the radar. The, 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 the thing, no, I'm sure it hasn't. The no. thing you're going to see in public is now the other candidates who do badly in the first ballot beginning to weigh up whether it's worth staying mm. in until next Tuesday. Right. So there'll be a lot of pressure, which is when the next ballot is, there'll be a lot of pressure this afternoon on those candidates to drop out. If they score, for example, 17 or under 20, I mean, there's no way that in the next ballot, unless there's a dramatic reversal, they're going to do any better because in the next ballot you need 33 votes at least to stay in so if, if you're under the next ballot's threshold at this stage unlikely to pick up any more support you might as well pull out and back another candidate so there'll be a lot of pressure on them to do that so we might see the number dwindling to maybe four in the second ballot five would be a bigger field there's provision for ballots next week on Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday there's provision for two ballots on Thursday afternoon if there is no result mathematically it's possible uh, that you could still if all of the candidates remained in it's very unlikely the officers of the 1922 committee privately expecting this process to be complete by Wednesday at the okay. latest.
4: Oh, right. So we could have a new Prime Minister in situ then uh, by Thursday.
8: Well, you will have the final two names that will go them forward to the membership. So you will have your final two names for who is going to be the Prime Minister. Mm. Uh, that's what we're working down to. We're in a process of elimination to get to the two... Uh, names. I'm told by somebody who's in the committee corridor just outside that the officers of the 1922 committee are lining up now, ready to go in. So we should have this result imminently. I'm told that the names will be read out in alphabetical order, and that we will get their uh, results in terms of figures, the number of ballots that they've scored each. Big milestone would be 100. If any candidate met 100 in the first ballot. That means they are very, very far in the the lead and almost certain to get onto the members' ballot.
4: And is there anything that could be a disappointment for Boris Johnson, given what we know? Uh, what would be a number below which he would have to think about uh, something uh, was going badly so, wrong? So
8: a bad result for Boris Johnson would be in the low 80s, okay. uh, because that would be the number of public declarations that have uh, made clear, and it mean he would wouldn't have picked up any of the other undecided MPs at this stage. Right. That would be a bad result. Don't expect that to be the case. Privately, I think you could say that anything under 100, given how much the campaign has seemed in the lead, would be interpreted as a weaker result right. at this stage. Uh, if he hit the hundred mark or was just short of it, I think that would be a good result for him um, going into the second ballot. And the mathematics
4: you're describing would not seem to back up what I heard Matt Hancock saying yesterday, which was that, you know, frontrunners famously never win. Um, I mean, in this case, it's looking very, very likely that
8: Boris would get it, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit of an over-declared, overused phrase, that one. Uh, I think we're just going to see some of the officers of the 1922 committee coming in now and taking their seats...
4: Yes, it's now sort of building up. And so it will be, basically, yeah. a similar announcement that you would
8: hear uh, after an election election result. We can hear James Cheryl Gillan, who's going to read out the results. Uh,
1: on behalf of the 1922 committee, Charles Walker and I, as the returning officers for the election of the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party, can now declare the results of the first ballot. The total number of votes cast in today's ballot were 313 and you'll be pleased to know that there were no spoilt or rejected (laughs) (laughs) ballot papers. The total number of votes cast for each candidate in alphabetical order were as follows, Michael Gove, 37, Matt Hancock, 20, Mark Harper, 10, Jeremy Hunt, 43, Sajid David, 23, Boris Johnson, 114, Andrea Ledson, 11, Esther McVeigh, 9, Dominic Raab, 27, and Rory Stewart, 19. Therefore, the following seven candidates are eligible to participate in the next ballot on Tuesday, the 18th of June. Michael Gove, Matt Hancock, Jeremy Hunt, Sajid Javid, Boris Johnson, Dominic Raab, and Rory Stewart. And on your behalf, can I thank my colleagues for participating in an orderly election, and my colleague officers of the 1922 and our staff for helping conduct the ballot in an orderly fashion today. Thank you very much indeed.